Welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we are learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I am your host, Raleigh Sadler, and over the last decade, I have started a nonprofit and written books that help people better care for their most vulnerable neighbors. Along the way, I've made a few friends, all of us learning how to care for others as we experience difficult times. Today, I want to talk about death. Whether this is the death of a loved one or the death of a relationship, Death is something that we fear. This is innate in us. You know, death is always something we try to avoid. But it's inevitable. It hunts us. It haunts us. We can never prepare. As Chad picked up his phone, he was greeted with the news that no parent ever wants to hear. His son, Luke, a midshipman at the United States Naval Academy, had fallen and died while hiking in Chile. Today I'm joined by Chad Bird, the author of Limping with God, Jacob and the Old Testament's Guide to Messy Discipleship. Chad, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Raleigh. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to be on the podcast. Appreciate the invitation. Been looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. And as I think about what we're going to discuss today, my first question is, what has the loss of your son taught you about grief? Yeah, you know, I, if there's one thing that just leaps immediately to my mind in, in thinking through grief, and this has been, so Luke died in, in July, mid-July. So, you know, we're just a few months down the road from that. But the one thing, I guess more than anything else that, uh, that I've been learning through this uh, very long process of grief is simply how unpredictable it is. You know, uh, there'll be days when I, I, do, pretty, I do pretty well. You know, I don't, I, I don't have any uh, emotional breakdowns, and certainly I, I think of Luke. Uh, it's the first, first thought in my mind every, every single morning. Uh, and there's other days when I might be, uh, might be doing okay, and then the next thing I know, I find myself uh, just on my knees and, and breaking down. And so it's the some, some people call it being ambushed by grief, which I think is a, is a fitting, is a fitting metaphor for describing what the process is like. Uh, you'll be okay, then you'll be bad, then you kind of go back and forth between between these. One way I've described it is that uh, so Luke is sometimes in directly in front of me, and his death is directly in front of me, and sometimes it's just in kind of my peripheral vision, but it never goes away. So the grief is always there. It's just a question of you know whether it's tapping you on the shoulder or whether it's a, a full frontal assault against you. So that's. One of the things that I have that I've discovered about grief is that you never know every day what it's going to what it's going to bring. Um, and there's plenty of other things as well, but that's that's at the forefront of my mind when I when I think about this kind of new learning process of me readjusting to a life that uh, is going to have grief in one form or another really for the rest of my life. Chad, you mentioned being ambushed by grief, and I think that is such a visceral image. You know, it's something that we don't choose. It just, it just happens to us. What would you say to people who are experiencing that in their lives right now? Well, one of the things I would say is that uh, it has to be faced head on. I mean, there's, there's no escaping it. I, there is a tendency, a temptation, I might say, to... Uh, to hide from that, to bottle it up, 
uh, to, as it were, try and keep a, a stiff upper lip and, and be stoic through it and uh, kind of keep it all bottled up inside. But that, at least in my experience, is, is very unhealthy. You, you have to learn to face whatever it is, whether it's an okay day or whether it's a horrible day, as it is. Say, okay, this is where I'm at. Today, I'm okay. That's good. You know, uh, tomorrow I'm not, uh, I'm can barely think can barely, can barely function. So you have to kind of grapple with, with, uh, with that reality. That's the, that's the first thing that I would say. And, uh, well, I, I could just go on and on and on, but <laughs> let, me, let me say this, uh, I, I'm coming from a Christian perspective, uh, one whose, uh, convictions are fully formed by confession that that Jesus rose from the dead. And so that is what I keep coming back to as, as, I, as I face the grief, whether it's an okay day or a day from hell. Either, either way, I'm taking that day to the cross and to the empty tomb. And I'm reminding myself that this life is but the, the front porch to our Father's home. It's a very brief life. It's what the scriptures describe as something like a flower in the field that's here one day and then it's gone the next. Or it's the grass which shears one day and then withers the next. So it's a, the brevity of our earthly lives is uh, something that we ourselves begin to realize more and more the older we get. But it's something that scripture constantly puts in front of us. But at the same time, the life that we live here, whether it was 21 years like, like Luke or whether it was uh, 81 years like my dad who just also died uh, a few weeks ago. Either way, whether it's brief or whether it's long, in the big perspective of things, it is but the, the preparatory period for the life that will not end, which we will enter into after, after we leave this, this earthly life. So those are the, the top two things, I would say. Be just whatever the grief is doing to you that day, accept it, live in it, know that it will not remain exactly that way. And then as you are dealing with it, to to deal with it in light of the the hope that we have in the empty tomb that in Christ we have life and hope beyond this world losing your father and your son in such a short amount of time can shut anyone down it can make anyone numb it can make any of us just try to run and you told us that key to part of well one of the keys to grieving well is accepting it you know, many of us want to be time travelers. We want to go back like Scott Bakula. And that's in Quantum Leap, if some of you don't understand the reference. But we want to go back like Scott Bakula and go fix something that happened in the past. But the problem is, none of us are time travelers. And the only way to heal or to start healing is to accept what happened. And acceptance doesn't mean you like it. Acceptance doesn't mean you're like, oh, this is great. It means we're choosing in that moment to say, a thing is a thing. This is what happened. It's owning what happened, even if you, even if you hate it with every fiber of your being. But you didn't just talk about acceptance, which is ultimately accepting reality. You, you also talked about taking this to the cross. As a Christian myself and someone who works with faith communities, I hear people say that. But when you say you take it to the cross, tell me more. Tell me more about what you mean. Well, it's understanding that our lives in this world, my life, the life of Luke, the life of my dad, all, all of our lives are not, as it were, islands in, in isolation. 
from the God in whose image we were created. So my story is always woven into the story of God because he has made me his own in Jesus Christ. And that means that my story is never disconnected from the story of Christ, and the story of Christ is never disconnected from my own. Uh, in in one of Paul's letters in in the book of to the to the churches of Galatia, he says that I have been crucified with Christ, so it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And what that means is that my life is completely bound up within the life of Jesus. And so when I'm dealing with grief. I'm simultaneously dealing with a story that's bigger than my grief. And that story is the story of Christ who grieved. He grieved at the the tomb of his friend Lazarus, the Christ who experienced suffering, experienced the anguish that this life throws at us, experienced, in fact, all the way into taking his last breath and his heart stopping and his lungs no longer breathing and him being just as dead as anyone else buried like anyone else but what sets him apart what makes his story unique and then what makes because of that my own story of grief unique is that he didn't stay dead he came forth alive again from the tomb and it is that defeat of death that victory that results in his resurrection that part of christ's story then envelops my own story Develop the, the story of Luke and my dad and, and every other believer in Christ so that it it colors our understanding of grief so that it's no longer just darkness, but there's but there's light, or at least there's shadow. <laughs> it's not pitch black. There's 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 that that hope that comes from knowing that Luke's 21 years was not just a 21 year story, but it's a story that's bound up in the everlasting story of the crucified and resurrected Christ. And the same with same with me. Uh, so I take it to the cross in the tomb in the sense that I understand that this small story of one individual's life is part of the bigger story of the life of Jesus. And his story, his hope, his resurrection, then gives light, gives hope, gives a future to us who are caught in the, in, the, in the here and now of our, of our sadness. Knowing that the story doesn't end, knowing that what you're experiencing and the grief that you're experiencing, that's not the last page. I love how you share how our story is never disconnected from the story of Christ and his story is never disconnected from us. And because he tasted death and came back from the dead. We know that death is not the last page in our story as well. And so as you, man, I, I want to sit with that for a second because it's, it's so true because it's so easy to get focused on whatever death we are experiencing in that moment. If we lose a close friend or a parent or a family member, it's another family member. It's just, it's very easy to think, well, where now, God? Like, how do I even go forward? But knowing that as death happens to us, we are conformed to the image of Christ. You know, this is someone who lived, died, and rose for us, who suffered for us. And so as we think about this idea of kind of growing in our relationship with Christ through the things that we suffer, through the adversity that we face, what has this experience taught you about mercy and living alongside of other sufferers? Yeah, a, a lot, actually. Uh, you know, I, uh, I was 
I was writing recently about this that, uh, you know, it's it's been quite amazing to me that not in well, let me let me let me say it this way. So I've I've had some high moments in my life. I've had some some periods of uh, of success where things that happened to me were uh, just you know one of these these bright and and happy triumphant kind of moments in life, uh, and and that was great. I mean that was that was wonderful. But th- there is something about those moments that are isolating. So only you are experiencing that at at that moment. And so there's a there's kind of an almost an ephemeral joy that is connected with these great moments of success where you're kind of at what you might call the pinnacle. But what I've experienced through these last few months, being at the bottom, being uh, surrounded by by sorrows, and kind of you know experiencing this uh, this almost kind of basement life where you're not just at the bottom and it feels like you've, you've fallen through the floor and you're now at, at, at the very, very lowest point as you look, as you look around and there is a, there's a human camaraderie of fellow sufferers with you. So what I've experienced over the last few months is an outpouring of love and mercy and compassion for me and for my family that I have never experienced before in the, in, in the pinnacle moments of joy in my life, people were happy for me, but that was a different sort of connection to people that I've experienced since the death of Luke and my father. What I found is that there's, there's a, there's a, there's a camaraderie of suffering that binds us all together in which mercy is shown to me. And then simultaneously I am showing mercy to others. So, People reach out to me with stories about the loss of their own children, sometimes babies, sometimes uh, very young children, sometimes adult children. And they told me their stories. And then they're encouraging me. And at the same time, then I am reaching out to others. And there's this kind of there's there's a magnetic attraction that people have when they've experienced brokenness toward other people. And so we're kind of like this broken vase that uh, is, is where all these various shards are representatives of people and yet we're we're being brought together and we're we're being joined we're being bonded together in the brokenness so that all together we might not be pretty <laughs> but we are but we do have a, a kind of a of a unity of sorrow which amazingly transforms itself into a kind of joy not happiness, but a kind of joy of knowing that we're not stuck in this human situation of suffering alone, that bonded to us are other people who are limping along, crawling along, often being carried along this same very difficult road. And we're being carried by by Christ, but Christ is also providing for us people who are on this same journey to bear us up and then us also to bear to bear them up. One thing I've always respected about you, Chad, is, you know, I've known you for several years now. And as we've gotten to know one another more, um, you are one of those people that there are things that I, you know, I, I aim to be vulnerable. But when you're vulnerable, you don't have to share everything with everyone. You really don't. And but you are one of those people that when we have a conversation, sometimes I feel like chunk from the Goonies. I'm like, one time I, you know, it's like. But it's it's just this 
people feel safe talking to you about their own suffering because you have suffered. And that's really a main, one of the main reasons that I've started this podcast is to show people that as we suffer and experience adversity, we're learning, we're growing in the image of who we are supposed to be. You know, we are becoming who God is making us and, and really just, we want to avoid suffering, but I think if we avoided suffering, we would never grow. We would never be able to love our neighbor well. And the more I experience suffering, the more I think, well, I'm actually way better suited to understand what this person's going through now. And I see needs that I would have never seen before because I was so focused on myself. And this suffering kind of breaks me of that a little bit. Yeah, you, you would think that, that suffering would often isolate people. And, and it, it certainly can. But I, I find more often, and, and I think that you uh, have indicated that you, that you see this too, that there is something about suffering which, yes, it can lead to kind of, a, of an inward focus. Most of the time it actually it turns our gaze more outward so that we're able to, to see suffering in other people and, and want to help. And then they want to help us. So uh, as much as we don't, nobody, nobody wants to suffer. Nobody prays for that, but it is, it's the reality of life in this world. And so when it comes, uh, how much better to become, uh, as, as I like to say, stewards of our scars, to use the pain, the brokenness, the suffering in this life as uh, maybe not a gift, but a deposit that's been given to us to use in the best possible way that we can. And uh, for me, the best possible way we can use that is in growing awareness of how we can show mercy and love to others. Stewards of our scars. That's such a great picture because that's it. You know, as I think back on where we've come in this episode, we discuss being ambushed by grief and how grief is ever present, but we must accept it. We must own where we are and we must take that to the cross. And we take it to the cross because our story is never disconnected from the story of Christ. Just as Christ suffered for us, we suffer, but we don't suffer alone. We suffer alongside of others. There's this idea of unity of sorrow and in that time of suffering it's the very thing that we think disqualifies us from happiness or joy actually qualifies us to look our neighbor in the eye and love them well and to learn the art of compassion chad you you have written widely on suffering and vulnerability and the gospel and how that intersects both of those. But what are three things that can help each of us learn the art of compassion? Well, I think the first thing is uh, simply growing in a deeper awareness of who we are. Uh, there's, and that, that might sound uh, easy, but I, I think it, most of us, it, it's rather difficult. Because we, we're kind of addicted to self-delusion. Uh, for for the most part, we like to we prefer the narratives that we make up in our heads about our lives over the actual reality of who we are and what we're going through. 
So it's it's very it's very easy to tell ourselves uh, tantalizing lies about how things are with regard to ourselves instead of simply looking in the mirror and being bluntly honest about who we are. So knowing yourself, being honest with yourself about your weaknesses and your your failings and all those uh, those cracks in your soul. Honest with yourself about that is going to engender within us a uh, a greater compassion and mercy toward others who, as it turns out, are just the same way. You know, everybody thinks that everybody else has their act together. At least most people do. Everybody thinks that uh, nobody else like them is is waiting for right. everybody to figure out that they really don't, you know, have everything together. Right. You know, so we all think, oh, you know. He has his act together. Or she really knows where she's going. Well, it turns out he and she don't. They they uh, suffer the same fears and apprehensions, anxieties, and mm-hmm. self-doubt that every single person experiences. So that's the first thing I'd say. You know, if you're more honest with yourself you are about your own failings, then the more mercy is going to be in your life toward toward other people. You know, there's there's no... There's no worse enemy to mercy than self-righteousness. Uh, the the more that I think that I'm better than others, that I have my act together more than others, or whatever it might be, then the less open I am to showing mercy to others. And and typically God helps us out along that way by breaking us in certain ways that we we are open to to other people. Yeah, that's that's one of those things when you say it. We don't want that to be true. We want a magic pill. We want a magic button. We want something just to get us through. But that kind of owning and accepting and being honest about your situation ultimately is a catalyst for connecting us to what truly can heal us, what truly will bring us to that next place that we're seeking. Well, and I think another, I mean, another way that that we learn the art of compassion and learn the, or the art of mercy is, uh, and I kind of hinted at this, is is in the school that, that God enrolls us in. It's not one that we, you know, willingly uh, put in our letter of, of admission and, and pay tuition for it, but it's simply the, the school of the cross, we might call it, the uh, or the academy of suffering or whatever, whatever you want to put it. Uh, God places us there. In order that we might learn, and and I don't mean that God necessarily like sticks us in this terrible, horrible, dark, torturous place where life is just you know just just terrible all the time. You know, this can take all kinds of forms. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that God enrolls us in the school of suffering, which are just common everyday things. In fact, it can be school. You know, university can be hard. Seminaries can be hard. Graduate schools can be hard. Marriage can be hard. Marriage is the school of discipleship. Because we're going to suffer in marriage. Of course, hopefully, marriage is also going to be full of joy and happiness. But, I mean, you're sticking two sinners together within the walls of a home and saying, I want you to share everything. Well, inevitably, when that happens, then there's going to be problems because you have egos clashing, you have wills clashing. So that, too, is a, is a place where God helps us to break out of our self-centered sorts of ways and to look with compassion and mercy on other people. So. God is the one who's going to take care also of putting us in places, experiencing loss and temptation and failure and all these other things that are going to help to, to, to expand our view beyond our own, our own navel, so our, our navel-gazing ways, 
to look out in uh, in compassion to, to other people. Right. Sometimes things that are outwardly good can be instruments of experiencing this death, whether it be school, marriage, like you said, you're, we're experiencing that school of the cross. We're, we're learning deeply in that moment a theology of the cross. That it's not supposed to be great all the time, but that there's something good that is there. there we're connecting to um, grace in a way that we probably wouldn't if we were absolutely impervious to sorrow. Yeah, and well, Jesus didn't say, you know, take up your wine and roses and follow me. Right? <laughs> he said, take up your your cross and follow me. And, and everybody knew what the cross was for, and it wasn't for uh, you know for happiness. It was for it was for death. And but the th- that's the thing about God. With Him, death is a, is a blessed thing because death always, with God, always gives way to resurrection. It's the door through which we op- through which we walk to enter into the. Uh, the better life that he has in store for us through Christ. Uh, that's that's why our lives are kind of a, a revolving Good Friday and Easter. He's putting us to death and he's rising us, raising us new to find a new and a, and a better life with Christ. And then, you know, ideally through through uh, the, the ups and downs of life, through the sufferings, which we either cause ourselves or others bring into our lives or just kind of befall us because we're in a, we're in a broken world. The spirit's at work. He is reorienting these disoriented loves within our hearts in order that we can, uh, bit by bit, through the work of the spirit, have that love of God on top. And and here's the here's a really cool thing about the way that the spirit reorients our hearts to where we love God. The more that he does that in our love toward God, then it's not the less we're going to love our neighbor, but actually the more. So the more that the more that we receive the love of God, the more that the Spirit works the love of God within our hearts, then the more that that love is going to blossom within us so that we actually have uh, a greater capacity for mercy and grace toward toward other people. And all this goes back to a deeper recognition of what we ourselves have received. So our lives are lived in the shadow of the cross, which is the love of God painted before our eyes in, in, in glowing and lurid colors of, of a crucifixion death where we see the heart of God on cosmic display. In the cross, we see the heart of God revealed, and thus we see also the kind of mercy that God is not only capable of giving, but willing to give. And then that kind of same grace and mercy, once it plants itself within us, flowers into mercy and grace that we are going to share with our fellow sinners who need our love, who need our forgiveness, need our mercy just as much as we need it from them. So as we close, you're telling us that maybe we shouldn't avoid suffering or try to run from it or disown what we're experiencing. But knowing that as we walk through that darkness, someone is walking with us. There is a light. There is a shadow. It's not bleak. It's not black. It's there is a hope ahead of us. Yeah, we don't walk alone uh, when we walk through either the in the mountaintop of happiness or the valley of the shadow of death. Wherever we're at, we have Christ by our side. There's that ancient prayer of, of Saint Patrick, uh, 
read, he says, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ to my right, Christ to my left, Christ above me, Christ beneath me, Christ in the heart of every man who greets me. So uh, it, it, when, when we're traveling, we're surrounded by and enveloped by, by Christ, who is our light. Uh, he suffered and overcame death in the grave. And in him, we are co-sufferers, but we're also co-buried and co-resurrected with him into the new life that is ours. So no matter how dark, no matter how bleak, no matter how seemingly hopeless life is, with Christ, there is always hope. There is always life. There is always a reason for getting up in the morning, because we know that we will awaken to a day in which Christ is alive and we have that life and hope in him. Chad, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for the invitation. It's been great, Raleigh. Yeah, really has. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. If you want bonus episodes as well as a plethora of other resources, become a paid member at LMPG. Let my people go. LMPG.org for $10 a month. You will get access to our bonus podcast, More Mercy where we will dive deeper with each guest. Also, don't forget to smash that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.